Good morning. If you brought a Bible, please turn to our New Testament reading, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Since the middle of August, we've been going through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And this morning, we get to the middle of the letter. Quite literally, there are, there are seven sections of the letter prior to this passage. And there are seven sections in the letter after this passage. And so here we are right in the middle. And Paul is going over travel arrangements. It it feels kind of newsy. It feels sort of like logistics. And and he's telling them that he's going to send Epaphroditus back back to the Philippians. And that's going to happen right away. In fact, Epaphroditus is the one who takes the letter. When he finishes the letter, he takes it and he goes back. And then he says, and I hope in a little while to be able to send Timothy to you. And so this portion of the letter is just about those logistics and letting them know. And it feels kind of mundane. But when we slow down and we pay close attention We see that Paul is using this need, the need to make these arrangements and to introduce these people. He's using this to say to the Christians in Philippi, here are two men that are living examples of everything I'm trying to get you to do. Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of the very thing that Paul is saying a missionary church has to do. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says that a missionary church is a church of people whose public life matches up to the gospel of the king. And so in our passage this morning, we're going to look at how Timothy and Epaphroditus give us three habits that make them this type of person, that make them into people whose public life manifests the gospel of the king. Now, the first habit we see is that they have made a habit out of putting the needs of others above their own. They've made a habit out of being genuinely concerned for others, not in a performative way, not in a way that kind of like feeds back onto themselves and makes them them look good, But they are fundamentally concerned for the welfare of other Christians. Notice verse 19. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, remember, Epaphroditus had traveled from Philippi to Paul, who's in prison, probably in Ephesus. It's a journey as a crow flies of about 300 miles. It would have taken much longer because you couldn't get there straight. It was a journey that probably took about a month. It was dangerous. It was not fun. You know, we get frustrated, don't we, when we have a layover that adds a couple of hours to a five-hour trip. 
This is a month-long trip. There was no trip insurance, right? There were no cool little hotels along the way. This was walking. This was travel in a day and age that's very different than what we experience. It was always risky. And Epaphroditus did it to go help a dude out in jail. A dude that's getting, like, abused. So he's putting himself out there. Why? Because he's genuinely concerned for Paul's welfare. And this is one of the habits that people whose public life matches up to the gospel of the king, this is one of their habits. It's super practical, isn't it? Now, Paul now says, I'm going to send Timothy back to you because I want him to care for you. He's one of these people. Like Epaphroditus, he is genuinely concerned. So how can we become a church that's full of people that on a very practical level are deeply committed to putting the needs of others ahead of their own needs? One of the ways that we try to do this as a church, and I know you're probably tired of me saying it, one of the ways we try to do this as a church is in small groups. Go to the small group nearest you. And, and, and when you go to small group, what if your attitude was, the purpose of small group is for me to develop a habit of being concerned for others? What if the purpose of small group was for you to be concerned for others? Not the purpose of small group is for me to get my Jesus fix in the middle of the week. Now, that's important. I need to remember Jesus in the middle of the week, right? Because it's often easy to forget in all the stresses of life. Our small groups are schools of love. They are places where we eat food together. Very important that we do that. We read the scriptures together. We, We share with one another what is our burden and our concerns. We pray for each other and we take care of each other. And that will form us if we give ourselves to it. I mean, just imagine how powerful it is to give yourself to a group of people you didn't pick. They're just the ones near you. It's not the ones you pick to serve. It's just other Christians. And you give yourself to this discipline. And you give yourself to the habit of learning to listen more than you talk. Of learning to figure out what other people need more than figuring out how to get your needs out there. This is what Paul was saying back in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, when he said that a key feature of a missionary church is it's filled with people who don't relate to one another as rivals. Right? This is the opposite of me seeing you as a rival. When I see you as a rival in my small group or in this church, I see you as someone who takes spotlight, takes care, takes concern away from me. Paul says to be a missionary church, like in verse 3, we have to in humility count one another more significant than ourselves. Now imagine how profoundly transformative it is every week to force yourself into that posture. That's what small groups can do for us. 
They can help us become the kind of people who don't just have vague general concern for others' welfare, but actually put it into practice. Timothy and Epaphroditus have done this. They've made it their life habit to follow Jesus' example of being genuinely concerned for the welfare of other Christians and acting on that in practical and helpful ways. And making that habit is a key part of what it means for our public life to line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A second habit that Timothy and Epaphroditus have developed as an ingrained way of living is that they enslaved themselves to the gospel. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has slaved with me in the gospel. Now, many modern English translations don't have the word slave there. It has the word servant. He has served with me in the gospel. But literally, it's the word slave. I think it's kind of politically incorrect to use this word slave. We have so much cultural shame over what we as a nation have done with slavery that it's almost an unusable word now. Here's the catch. It was the same in Paul's day. It was shameful to be a slave. And to treat somebody like a slave was shameful. And yet Paul deliberately chose the word slave. And this isn't the only time he chose to use it. Go back one page and look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, literally the word, it's the same word, slaves of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, notice what it says in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but made himself nothing, taking the form, same word, of a slave. You see, Paul is saying, look, Jesus Jesus went after downward mobility, not upward mobility. Downward mobility was the way he saved us. And he went all the way down to the lowest rung. And Paul says, I've got to look at my life that way. And I've got to make that such a habit of my life that I can say, I'm a slave to Jesus. And then when he's recommending Timothy, he says, Timothy has slaved with me for the advance of the gospel. What did Timothy actually do? What does it actually mean in concrete detail to slave away for the gospel? Well, it meant all kinds of things. It meant Timothy helped Paul organize his lecture notes, organize prayer meetings, cooked meals so that Paul could do pastoral visiting, organized money matters, distributed funds to the poor, helped with housing for homeless believers, and on and on. So Paul, when he says, for the gospel, he's talking about that whole project of creating communities whose only thing in common is their faith in Jesus, and whose common purpose is to publicly display the gospel of the King. 
So what does that look like for us today? It looks like all of the work we do to be a church. It's all of the ways we pitch in to care for each other. Pile our money together to plant churches and start children's ministry programs where we can teach children and teach teenagers what the faith is and how to hold the faith. It's, it's all these things we do where we organize ourselves into small groups. And all of you, all of you who are giving so much of your time, you're carving out time in the margins of your life to pull this thing called incarnation off. If Paul was writing a letter, he would use you as an example. And he would point to that work you're doing to get here early, to set out the coffee and the bagels, to, to work together to build a park that's not only going to have a playground for our children, but playgrounds for other children in the church. All of these things we're doing, this is what it means to slave away for the gospel. How are you doing? How are you doing at structuring your life so that you really do have genuine concern for others. And you really are slaving away for the gospel. A third habit that Timothy and Epaphroditus demonstrate to make them living examples of someone whose public life matches up to the gospel is that they are willing to expose themselves to danger even to risk their lives for the advance of the gospel. Look at verse 29. Paul's writing about Epaphroditus. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men because he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We saw back in chapter 1, this is how Paul lives his life. Paul is willing to go to jail in order to advance the gospel. And he's willing to die to advance the gospel. In verse 20, he says, I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Epaphroditus has made the advance of the gospel more important than his own continued living. Have you? Is it really your highest priority? When we read a passage like this, the real challenge is to stop putting it at arm's length. But instead, to let it come all the way into our life. Is the advance of the kingdom of God your absolute highest priority worth your reputation? Worth making more money? Worth even dying? Remember what we saw about Jesus a few weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Paul uses the exact same phrase when it says he nearly died. They're actually the same phrase in Greek. 
He's saying Epaphroditus is a living, breathing example of the way Jesus lived. You see, this question, what would Jesus do, is excellent. It really is good. It needs to get all the way in our heart. And we need to memorize the Christ hymn. So that we can continually ask ourselves, in this situation, what would Jesus do? Okay, even though he was in the form of God, he did not... Count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but humbled himself. And we need to quote that to ourselves and then look out at the situation through that. And it tells us to be willing to go all the way. This is what it means. And when it says in verse 5, you must have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what it means in the great commandment when it says to love God with all your heart. In all your soul, in all your mind, in all your strength. This is what it means to follow Jesus. What, what, in a moment like this, with a passage like this, I think what we have to do is to get very honest with ourselves and ask, what are my highest priorities? And is the advance of the gospel my highest priority? Now, this is hard. Right? It's hard. This is a high standard, isn't it? To put the needs of others before my own need. This is a really high standard. To put the advance of the gospel above my own desires. How can we become people like Timothy and like Epaphroditus? That's really the point of this passage. The real point of this passage is how to go from where we are to where we want to be. And this comes up in verse 29. The way we do it is to pay attention to who we make into heroes. Verse 29. So receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men. This is his biggest jab. See the Philippians. The people who lived in Philippi. Philippi was one of the special cities. It had been granted a special status. It was Roman. It was Roman in the frontier. And they valued prestige. And they looked at the other little cities around who were not officially Roman colonies. And they felt how special that made them. And in the Roman Empire at the time, men were honored not based on choosing downward mobility. That actually discounted people. When Epaphroditus gets back to Philippi, in the eyes of the Roman culture... He's weak because he nearly died. And Paul is saying, you've got to have a different value system than your culture. This is the value that you need to evaluate people by and determine who gets honor. In their culture, you got honor by giving lots of money to public projects And getting your name on the side of the building. It was a culture of honor 
around benefaction. And here, Paul is saying to, to the Philippians, what type of people do you honor? And the people you honor are the type of people you're going to become. Honor this kind of person. The person who has made a deep life habit out of compassion and concern for the benefit and welfare of others. The person who has enslaved themselves to the gospel. The person who risked their lives and all the things that matter most to them for the advance of the gospel. Now, our culture honors people for lots of reasons. And it's easy to get into the habit of honoring people the way your culture honors people. And here we're told, Church of the Incarnation, if we're going to be a missionary church, we must pay attention to who we honor. And we must find the people that should be honored and receive them with joy. And it doesn't always look like the honored person in our culture. Let's pray.